If you are not yet a subscriber to Unfound's YouTube channel, do so right now, even before listening to this podcast. On this episode, I discuss Rudy Farias again. I read another article about women and true crime. I update everyone on the tourney trial. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including why my voice sounds like this. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for July 10th, 2023. All right, everyone. I think I might have, uh, I think this is as good as my uh, voice is going to get tonight. So uh, you'll have to compare what my voice sounds like right now um, to two hours from now when the show's over. It's probably not going to be pretty, but what are you going to do? But I'll get into that in a, in a moment. Um Hope everybody's doing well. This is the live show for July 10th, 2023. Yes, it has been a week since we all last got together. I don't know where the time goes. We're almost already to the middle of the summer. And uh, so there you go. Before I go any further, I hope that uh, we have another... uh, Try tonight. We got to over 50 thumbs up last week. Let us see if we can do it again. So as you are coming into uh, the um, chat tonight, as you are watching, as you are listening live tonight, please just go right up there or right down there. And hit the thumbs up button. I think we did set a record. We easily set a record last week. So let's see if we can do it again. Also, um, we are also having another kind of push here at Unfound. It's a very, very, very lofty goal. But... We're trying to get to 20,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel by the end of the year. It's going to be tough. That's okay. But if you are listening to this, whether live, watching this live on Monday night, or if you're listening to this as a podcast later, if you are not yet a subscriber, please do so right now. Please go to your YouTube app and hit the subscribe button that would greatly uh, help us out what we're trying to do here at the YouTube channel. Of course, it's very easy if you're watching. It's right down there, that little bubble in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen that's been set up, I think, for a while now. Uh, In addition, if you uh, maybe you're uh, kind of new to Unfound, maybe you want to go to Facebook and like the page, follow the page, request to be put into the discussion group. That would be nice. And of course, we also have accounts on Instagram 
and TikTok that I try to use as well as possible. And I'm going to be getting into these other accounts here before um, we are done tonight. And like I said, if you're just coming in, if you're saying Ed just doesn't sound like himself, I feel fine. But I've been abusing my voice a little bit, and I'll get into that in a moment. So let's use here uh, for this July 10th, 2023 live show. Um, We got Deborah, Tracy. There must be uh, somebody up there who I can't see. Karen got in here first. There you go, Karen. And Deborah and Tracy and Melody. Hello, Melody. Um, Lori says she can't wait to hear about my singing. Well, you're hearing about it right now, hearing my voice, but I'll get into it a little deeper. Uh, the Real coming to us from Australia. What's going on? Jill um, has been following the Alyssa Turney case. I will be uh, covering that. Veronica says, hey, Ed and Chad, it's so hot in my neck of the woods. I'm trying my best to stay hydrated and cool. That's a good idea. It's hot and hot here. In fact, uh, I'm feeling a little worn out myself uh, going out in the um, like around 1130 today to play some disc golf over at Taylor. Felt very worn out. I'm feeling it. I know I'm going to sleep well tonight. Lori's talking about my... Uh, my reaction when uh, Daniel called uh, Bianca's boyfriend. You know, that's one of the reasons uh, that the video version of these uh, interviews got started, Lori, uh, because sometimes I think that can be helpful. Seeing my reaction, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll react but not say anything. So, uh, but no, Veronica, as you can hear, I'm not going to be singing tonight. Uh, what's going on, Carrie? Assistant Carrie, Barbara, Charles gets in a little later than usual, but Charles, um, I think you are back in Colorado, right? I'm hoping that you had a good time seeing your mother. She did send a picture of you and the boys, uh, to me, Kathy, what's going on? The Real says, oh, that's right. I meant to ask if there's some kind of malaria scale going over there. Specifically in Florida, I heard something like that. Malaria in Florida, uh, not that I've heard The Real. I don't know what to say about that. Sheree, the moderator, thank you for joining in. Lisa, Marty, Miranda. What's going on, Miranda? Angie with the funny uh, emoji there. Mel, Mark, and Indy, good to see all of you. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. uh, for making the time. Uh, what's going on with me? Just a few things. Uh, you're hearing my voice. <clears throat> I'm kind of, um, I'm learning something about my voice as I take these singing classes. You should know that these singing classes are going very, very well. That I'm doing on my own at home. I'm taking a course called the Ken Tamplin Voice Academy. And for about an hour a day, usually at night before I go to bed, I do these hour-long exercises. It's actually a half hour. I do them. The exercises are like a half hour. I do them twice. And they have been doing wonders for my singing voice. And if I were to 
sing in front of people. These are probably the, you know, the warm up that I would be doing um, before I would actually sing for anybody. I can certainly sing uh, without it, but what I'm learning is that my voice is getting to a point, you know, I've been doing this for like six months is that a little bit, it's getting to be like, you know, some sort of Olympic sprinter or something where, yeah, the guy's fast, but if he really, really, really wants to be fast, of course he has to warm up and stretch and everything like that. And unfortunately, um, what I'm learning is uh, for a lot of these songs that I want to sing, I really have to do my warm-ups beforehand. Um, my voice is to a point where it's much more dynamic than it used to be for singing purposes, but I just can't get up in the morning and sing the same songs that I can sing right after I do my exercises the night before. And what you're hearing in my voice is I'm learning this the hard way, which is usually the way I learn things. So um, just to give you an example, because uh, this was a song that came up a few weeks ago when I was talking about this before, that um, the song Bark at the Moon by Oz, Ozzy Osbourne. Now you should know that Really, Ozzy does not have one of the most dynamic voices in in heavy metal. Uh, he certainly does not have the range of Ronnie James Dio or Bruce Dickinson, uh, Jeff Tate from Queensryche. But it's pretty, pretty good. You know, I don't know how he sounds now. But back in the day, the 70s and the 80s, he had a pretty solid voice, although, once again, I don't know uh, if he had that upper range of some of those other singers uh, that I just mentioned. But I can tell you that six months ago, so the beginning of this year, um, for the most part, I could not get through pretty much any song that Ozzy Osbourne has done, within reason. So, the like, the popular ones, like Crazy Train... Uh, bark at the moon, um, breaking all the rules, um, over the mountain, all those songs, you know, kind of like songs that he did as a solo artist, not songs that he did as with black Sabbath, you know, the songs that he does as a solo artist are much more dynamic in singing than the ones he did with, uh, black Sabbath, just different music. It's just different music. But at, on my best day, I, you know, I'd really be screeching toward the end of any of those songs. But now, six months in, I can sing any of those songs that I just mentioned by Ozzy um, over and over and over, hitting all the notes with no problem. And my voice does not give up. Now, the only way I can do that pretty much is doing the warm-ups first. You wouldn't want me to do that early in the morning. Well, what happened today is I got up, I was in a singing mood, and I was doing a little singing here, uh, blasting it out. Um, 
after I came back from disc golf, and this is the result. <laughs> but when I do my warm-ups, and I can sing any of those songs by him over and over and over. And in fact, I made a recording of myself. I've been talking to my longtime friend, Doug, who is a musician himself. And I've been telling him about this. And he said, well, I want to hear you sing uh, Bark at the Moon. Which is a song uh, for all you musicians out there. It gets up to like A above middle C, which is like what they call A4. Um, does it get higher than that? Maybe it does. Maybe up to A sharp four, maybe B four. But pretty much, if you want to sing that song, you be, be better be able to hit the the note A four on the on the scale or in the keyboard or whatever, whatever you want to call it. You better be able to hit that pretty easily. And for just six months ago, which is a song, <clears throat> um. Six months ago, couldn't do it. Now I can sing that song, and I sent it to Doug. I recorded it. I was sitting right here using the recordings program GarageBand that I use for the podcast and sang it for him. I sent him the file, and he was like, wow. You know, he goes, man, Ed, that is impressive. In fact, I will even uh, read you. Um he said he actually said he was very impressed. Now maybe he's just saying that to be nice, but um this is how far my voice has come in 6 months of really doing this almost every day. And my upper range has gone from like a G4, not and I don't mean a jet, up to about B4 if not C5, which C5 is like the C above middle C, like on a piano. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I can finally sing a lot of the songs that I listened to that I could not sing before. And now the next step is, um, you know, taking this out. I think I am going to do, try out some karaoke with some of these songs. And, um, but the thing I have to learn as you're hearing in this voice is that, um, now, probably tomorrow, I get some good sleep tomorrow. Probably my voice will be back to normal. But um, to do that, you know, I got to warm up. I just can't get up in the morning and start blasting away at some of these songs that I can sing if I do my warm-ups. So it's going very, very well. It's, I, I like I said, just to, like not going on a daily basis, but like a weekly basis. I will hit a new note or I'll be able to sing a song that I haven't been able to sing before. And I'll just be amazed by it. I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I just did that. Oh my gosh. Did I just do that? That's kind of what's been going on the last few months. Um, some of the other songs, uh, um, wood by Alice in chains. um, the other one is a man in the box by Alice in Chains. When I'm warmed up, I have no problem singing those songs at all. Zero. And I'm in pitch. I, I you know, I can carry a tune. I, you know, I don't, never had any hitting notes problems. I'm in key. So that's what's been going on behind the scenes. Uh, when you aren't hearing me and when I'm not doing unfound work, 
One of the things I've taken on is learning to sing better. And, and this is what's been going on. So if you're hearing my voice, this is an example of what happens when I try to sing those songs and I'm not warmed up. I just have to learn my lesson. Uh, Mark says triumphs. Hold on. You know what? I've been listening to some triumph and I'm going to be very honest with you, Mark, that I would not be surprised within the next three months that I can sing the song, lay it on the line by them. I would not be surprised because I've actually messed around with that, that song and certainly a lot different than Ozzy Osbourne, certainly, but I would not be surprised if like three months from now, I can sing that song pretty decently, but triumph is a, a group uh, that I band that I have been listening to because uh, their lead singer is so good. He has a very unique voice, excellent live back in the day. So um, know all about Triumph, lay it on the line. Uh, and, you know, um, like you said, hold on. I know that song as well. They have a lot of good tunes. So that's why my voice sounds like it does. Other, uh, and yes, uh, I will be going to karaoke one of these days and I'll try to get some video when I do uh, one of these songs uh, that, you know, takes a little screaming and high notes and everything, I will get video. So don't worry about it, but I'll just have to make sure I'm warmed up beforehand. All right, moving on. Uh, many of you know, already know that I'm going to Pennsylvania in a couple weeks. No, actually not in a couple weeks, nine days, uh, July 19th. I'll be there to August 2nd. And uh, I don't anticipate any changes. I anticipate doing the live show while I'm there. I anticipate uh, churning out the episodes while I'm there. Uh, I'm going to have a good time with my dad. Going to play in a disc golf tournament at Moraine. Going to see my sister, my brother, my good buddy Brad. I'm sure those two weeks will go very quickly. And yes, I'll be doing my singing uh, exercise. I'll probably have to go up to the, I'm not going to do it at my dad's place probably go up to the, like this little um, gathering building they have there that has like a library and everything. I'll probably go up there. Like before I go to bed, I'll probably go up there like 10, 10 30 at night went and uh, go in there and probably practice my uh, and do continuing to do my exercises from day to day. Also uh, disc golf uh, went out and played today and I was feeling real old out there given how hot it was. And um, it was really, really warm and I'm kind of feeling it right now between my voice. I'm actually feeling a little uh, depleted here. I think I'm going to sleep really well at night. All right, moving on. Let's get to true crime stuff, unfound stuff other things that are going on where I first want to start is I want all of you, uh, to keep, um, yeah, just, uh, want you to be aware that, um, want to send out your thoughts to a longtime listener of unfound, a Patreon supporter, actually, um, one of my assistants who uh, has gotten the new shop started, her name, is, you've seen her probably in this uh, chat before, Twinkle Design. You've probably seen her in here. 
Um, you know, she's going through some health issues right now. So if all of you would like to type something, I'm, I'm guessing eventually she's going to watch or listen to this live show when she can. But uh, myself and another listener and a listener were a little worried about her. And I was able to track down her sister who said that she's going through something. I think she's going, um, Twinkle is going to be just fine eventually. But if all of you could uh, send out a shout out to her, I would appreciate it. And once again, she uh, usually see her in the chat. She goes by Twinkle Design. I'm sure many of you have seen her. So I went before I wanted to get get into anything. I want to mention that Light says you look like a younger Ozzy. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Um. Charlie, you said, yep, back in Colorado. Ohio was a good time. Charlie, I saw that you got to cruise around in the uh, Buick convertible a little bit. And um, I'm hoping to do maybe uh, take a spin in the Buick when I'm up there in Pennsylvania as well. So once again, uh, once again, everybody, if you could give a shout out to Twinkle. I'm not sure I want to give out her real name. I do know her real name. but. There you go. And one more thing. Did everybody get their Powerball tickets for tonight? You know, it's up to like $650 million or something. I got both my Powerball and my Mega Millions uh, tickets for tonight and tomorrow night. Just to remind all of you um, if you do that sort of thing. Uh one more time, want to remind everybody who's getting in here, please give this a thumbs up. Let's see if we can get to 50 thumbs up again, like we did last week. I see we got 33 people in here, but only 24 thumbs up. Come on, people. Let's get with it. I would appreciate it. Thank you. Let me just type something in here. All right, there you go, and I'll pin that. All right, so let's go to the Bianca Carrasco poll. Um, As I'm sure many of you who have already listened to it, and I realize maybe some of you haven't yet, of course, her disappearance played out like many that we have covered on Unfound. So many women who go missing, who are married, and their husbands tell stories that just cannot be verified by anything factual. And uh, you hate to hear that there are children involved. You hate to hear that the, the missing woman seemingly was uh straightening straightening out uh you know our life out of you know after many some years of making some um questionable decisions and then she goes missing and it's been all these years it's very sad uh as you know uh we do a poll i conduct a poll in the discussion group uh on facebook and uh, I uh, had a variety of options there. And the most popular pick uh, for the people in the discussion group 
is that Bianca, her remains, wherever she is, she is on land that is uh, controlled by Daniel or Daniel's family. And you should know, of course, no surprise that a lot of people do believe that Daniel is responsible for Bianca's disappearance. Um, in the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I'll pipe it in here. Uh, maybe you want to do that. Uh, Sheree, if you could type in patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, I'd appreciate it. But we conduct a think tank there every Sunday evening. And in the think tank, it was a little more mixed. Um, as far as where Bianca might be. Certainly some people believe that, um, thank you, Sheree. Some of people believed that she is on land controlled by Daniel, but there were quite a few people who thought that if Daniel did this, that he disposed of her uh, somewhere between San Antonio and Odessa, which makes a lot of sense. And then me, uh, the, for the blog that I wrote there, uh, I decided that very much like the discussion group, that if we're to believe that Daniel caused Bianca's disappearance, that he, she is probably on a piece of property um, that Daniel or his family controls. I'm not saying his family is involved. I'm not going to go there. But... Uh, it would make all the sense in the world. And of course, we have um, several examples from Unfound's own history where missing people were found on the property of the person who murdered them. Zoe Campos, Andrea Bowman, Tyler North, even Tyler North, and that trial is coming up. Um, his remains were found on a piece of property owned by someone who knew the murderers, of course, that being Tyler's ex-wife and her boyfriend. So it's very sad. And uh, as we got in, as it happened in the discussion last night uh, in the think tank, women, you just got to see those signs. I realize nobody's supposed to murder anybody. Okay, I know that. However, as you know, I'm also a realist. And women, you just got to see the signs out there. You got to know that if you're thinking about getting divorced and things aren't going well and you're being abused and all of these things, you have to take those precautions. As soon as you think you shouldn't be there anymore, you should be gone. And don't let your husband know that you're going to do it. Because as I think we've learned after covering so many disappearances like this, is that my opinion is that women, these women, underestimate what these men will do. Now, is every man capable of this? I think not. But with disappearances like Bianca's. Now, for example, we go back, we think about Angela Green's disappearance. What I think I know about the relationship, their marriage, 
I'm not sure if that was necessarily predictable. All right, there was nothing. Remember, I I interviewed their daughter. I interviewed a family member uh, on you know on Angela's side of the family. Seemed like a decent marriage, and then Angela goes missing. And if you remember, her husband to this day has told all of these crazy stories, and that's a disappearance that's fairly new. I think it happened in 2019. So I don't know if there were necessarily any signs in that one, but many others that we've covered on Unfound, the signs are there. That if you're thinking, a woman's thinking about leaving, thinking about getting a divorce, that the guy probably just won't take it very well to the point that violence to uh you know a foul play end could occur. And it and I as you know, I'm very inclined to believe that in many of these that they were not planned necessarily. Maybe the difference with Bianca is once again, if we are to believe Daniel did something to her, we can't ignore that she went missing only a few weeks after she started seeing another guy. And in fact, Daniel found out about this. We can't ignore that. Can't ignore that. So women, just be careful out there. Of course, guys, you know, get murdered in the course of divorce. I, you know, there's this story out there of the woman who got the fentanyl and um, she was like an author and she was on TV and she killed her husband. Same thing. And in fact, he even said to his family not long before he died, I think she's trying to kill me. There's something going on here. And he stayed. You know, if those red flags are going up and your spidey sense is going off, you got to listen to that. You got to listen to that. In addition, don't do anything to, to push, you know, limits. Don't do that. Once again, I realize people are not supposed to murder people, but people do murder people. And so you got to watch, you know, watch out for these things. Um, women, like I said, most of the time we're talking about women. You got to know the signs. Do not, you know, listen to your instincts. Do not underestimate this stuff. I do not want to have to talk about you and interview one of your family members for an episode of Unfound. I do not want to do that. So, um... Carrie said, I would be interested to know if the four-year-old had a forensic interview. No idea, Carrie. Just, just not sure, you know, um, after so many disappearances where we've talked about young children, it seems like the five-year-old is like the limit. You get below that, it just seems to me that children become... Um, little unreliable and their memories don't stick. Lightwalker says, want to hear NIB. All right. You're just, um, 
N-I-B. What is that? Is that a song by Ozzy? Is that, I, I know that once you type it out light, light, I'm going to uh, regret asking. But what is N-I-B? Um, Deborah tw- sending out, uh, thank you, uh, sending out thoughts to Twinkle. Carrie, that girl's between San Antonio and Odessa without a doubt. Carrie says, Carrie, when people are leaving is the most dangerous time. It is. It is. Yeah, the Black Sabbath tune. Um, I will have to check that out. Thank you, Charles. Uh, I will have to check that out. And I uh, light, like I said, I have to admit, I'm much more of an Aussie fan than a Black Sabbath fan. In fact, every time I get together with my buddy Dana, we have this talk that he is a huge Black Sabbath fan, and he'll name off a bunch of songs that I don't know. Um, I think with the thing with Black Sabbath. Maybe just a little too dark. Whereas, you know, when Ozzy went off on his own, it's crazy train. And to me, those songs are a little more uplifting. It's just Black Sabbath, just so dark. Um, you know, when you get back to the early 70s, when it comes to that music, I'm much more of a Deep Purple fan, more of like Kiss got started at that time. I'm much more a fan of them than I am of Black Sabbath. So thank, uh, thank you. Um, Lori, Charles... What is your picture of? There you go, Charles. Tell everybody what your picture is. So for Bianca Carrasco, uh, of course, we always hope that these are going to get solved as soon as possible. As I wrote in the blog at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, if you want to support what we do here. Um, these types of disappearances, in my opinion, are the most solvable. Because really, most of the time, there's only one suspect. And you don't, although we may get some crazy stories from that person, certainly those stories aren't comparable to all the crazy stories we get. Like if drugs are involved, where we get crazy stories, unverifiable stories from multiple people. Um, Usually, um, the suspects are under the same roof. That helps. And so it's easier to kind of narrow down the timeline and everything. These disappearances are totally solvable if uh, the right questions are asked and everything else. And I go through that with the Patreon blog this week at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. want to remind everybody, please give, keep giving the thumbs up. We're trying to get to 50 tonight. So if you haven't yet, please do that. Marty says, love Sabbath, but it's missing Randy Rhodes. Yeah. Um, there you go. Don't forget to hit the like button. It's a free way to support the channel. Thank you for posting that. Thank you. All right, moving on. And as you know, um, I will continue to be at the beck and call of Bianca's family uh, for any and, and all questions and support and everything else as I am for any guest. All right, let's move on down to a story. And where do I want to go first? Um, I'm just going to go to the tourney trial, even though I realize that this does not include um, anything that went on today. Uh, Jill, you, if you're in here, maybe uh, anybody else who's following the the trial, if you want to type anything in the comments about what went on today, please do so. Um, but 
Uh, when I was preparing for the live show today, uh, I did this before the trial ever, um, you know, got started today. Um, uh, Lori says, can I go in? No, like not, not without a warrant. Lori can't go on Daniel's family's property. Of course, we know that Daniel allowed them to go into the property that the house that he and Bianca owned together, but nothing regarding anything in Odessa, Lori, they would need a warrant to do that. I don't think anybody's given permission either. So the tourney trial, I'm just going to read about this, knowing that this might be a little outdated considering what went on today. Thursday was day one. So this past Thursday was day one of the high profile trial of the man accused of killing Alyssa Turney. The Paradise Valley teen who vanished in 2001. This is over 20 years ago. Her stepfather, Michael Turney, is on trial for her murder. He's believed to be the last person to see her alive. This is a tough case because Alyssa's body has never been found. Prosecution is quite a bit of circumstantial evidence that Michael killed Alyssa, but the defense quickly pointed out there's no DNA or blood evidence or proof that Alyssa isn't still alive. Thursday, jurors heard from the prosecution's star witness, Alyssa's little sister, Sarah Turney. She was, of course, the guest going way back to 2019, I think. And Alyssa's biological dad sat in the courtroom with tears in his eyes. Michael sat in a wheelchair as he listened Thursday, and right behind him in the courtroom was Alyssa's biological father, Stephen Strom. It's hard to say it. I'd like to kill him, but I can't do that, Strom said while crying. It's not an easy thing to deal with day after day because she did nothing wrong. Alyssa vanished on her day of her junior year of high school in May of 2001. Her stepfather is believed to be the last person to see her alive after picking her up from school. In opening statements, the prosecution told the jury attorney had hundreds of surveillance videos of Alyssa, recordings of her phone calls, and even had her sign a contract that said, I did not sexually assault you. Sarah Turney grew suspicious of her father. She began a podcast to try to solve her sister's case in 2019, and she is a star witness for the prosecution. Thursday under oath, she described her father's control over Alyssa and what he told her about getting up setting up for surveillance in her home. Look what I set up. This is to watch your sister. And Alyssa was to not know. Sarah called her father saying he wanted to leave her. Uh, he w- never wanted her to leave the house, but the, f- the fence said that is all circumstantial. There is no crime scene, no body, no proof. Alyssa even died. No proof. E- Alyssa even died. And a new shred of evidence that links turning to the crime has come to light between 20, 2001 and 2019. Alyssa's biological father said nobody else would harm Alyssa. Do you believe he's guilty? Asked true crime reporter Brianna Whitney. Oh, I know he's guilty. I know he did it, Strom said. It was a moment of pure emotion and love and heartbreak for his daughters as Strom left the courtroom on day one of the trial. I'd I'd tell her, look, your daddy didn't leave you. He wanted to be with you. That's the hardest part. He said with tears running down his face, but I'm just trying to survive through it. I don't have feelings of death. I just want to have justice, Strom said. Sarah Turney will continue her testimony on Monday when court resumes. The judge said the plan is to have this trial wrapped up on July 20th, and the jury will then begin deliberations. Uh, Carrie says, Sarah's been the bulk of the witness on Thursday and today, and former boss from Jack in the Box. Carrie also says the sexual assault is not to be admissible in court. However, the contract... Michael made her sign is admissible. Of course it would be. Thank you. Thank you that for that, Carrie. Um, um, 
this, uh, of course, is very early on. This still 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 seems very dicey to me. Um, probably, I'm guessing that yeah. You know, once again, what do I know? I got this. I got Steve Pankey's trial wrong. Uh, but um, you got to believe. Of course, uh, I ended up being wrong with the park. You know, I talked about this last week, the Parkland shooting that we, you know, the discussion we had last week. This is not helping Michael Turney that as Carrie is saying, this contract that he had with Alyssa is being uh, admitted. The video stuff doesn't help. It's creepy. And... um. I just wonder, as I read this, I'm just wondering how many of these jurors know about the Mansud type of disappearance, because this is what this is. Um, even though uh, Michael Turney and Alyssa were not married, it's still a the Mansud type of disappearance. Because, of course, what is he saying? I picked her up from school, dropped her off, I left, I came back, she was gone. You know, how convenient. And if the jury knows that, then I think that um, I, I think it's pretty sure that he's going to get convicted. Um, but the defense gets its chance too, and once again, nobody. You know. Uh, as I stated, you know, I've been talking about this trial coming up for a while on the update episodes, and now it's here, and I still think that I feel kind of the same way as that this – he's probably going to get convicted, but objective, uh, objectively, this is a dicey case. You know, the problem we have is that um, kids run away all the time, teenagers run away all the time. Many of them don't come back. Many of them have run away, and it wasn't a parent who was involved. Sometimes parents are involved. Um, and it's still, I think, unclear what exactly happened that day. Why would, you know, if, you know, why did she go with him? Why did she go with him halfway through the day and... These are things that are going to be in the jurors' minds eventually. And um, like I said, probably there's going to be a conviction on probably emotion alone. Because they surely do not have anything to show that he killed her. Except him being weird and and uh, this contract and the video and everything else, but that may be enough. In addition, dare I say, this is kind of how I feel about Steve Pankey's convic uh, conviction, that sometimes the jury just isn't in a mood to convict somebody, even there is there, there is no proof that the person on trial actually murdered the missing or murdered girl like Janelle Matthews. They see the family in the courtroom. They feel sorry for them as they should. I'm not saying that's wrong, but 
that should never be the basis on which to convict somebody. But it works. So probably he's going to get convicted just a couple days in. But don't be surprised if he doesn't. Don't be surprised if it goes to a hung jury. Carries, uh, they already have brought up that Michael picked her up at 11 a.m. and didn't get Sarah until about 7 p.m. So much time on the counter for it's true. Uh, I, I, you know, the other thing, and Carrie, you bringing that up is, you know, we talk about, as I was just talking about with Bianca Carrasco's disappearance, in addition to Zoe Campos's and many others, Angela Green's, um, most of the time, me personally, I think that these are spur of the moment acts of violence on that particular day. The guy did not plan to kill the woman. He might've thought about it was possible because he was so ticked off her and everything, but on the day that it actually happened, it was not like he predicted it was going to be that day. Whereas, dare I say it, for Alyssa Turney's disappearance, Michael surely planned this out. You know, it wasn't like he picked her up and then decided, you know what, this is the day. He had been thinking about this for a while. He had everything. He already had a, he already, you know, had planned that he was going to pick her up. He already, um, knew how he was going to kill her. He already knew where he was going to put her. And um, this makes this all very, very difficult. And this is one of those disappearances being that I think like this, that the odds of her, if she is deceased, the odds of finding her are not zero, but they're very, very close to zero because it seems that he did plan this out. Carrie, the defense is really trying on cross, but the prosecutor seems to be pretty decent at redirecting back to guilty. Carrie also says Letitia Stock cleaned up a gruesome murder of Gannon in a few hours or so, way less than the eight-ish hours. Carrie, and he already knew that Phoenix PD and Maricopa County are lazy. Yeah. We just got to, you know, I can't believe, uh, and of course, a state like Arizona has a lot of empty spaces out there. And he could have driven many, many miles in many directions. But like I said, this is a place that he picked out. So, you know, I don't know Michael Turney, but if anybody is thinking about locations, they should be thinking about um, places that he knew well that are many, many miles away. He's not, like I keep saying, these people do not take chances of putting the remains uh, in a place that, it, you know, that's going to be easily found. Of course, we just talked about um, the disappearance of Patricia Otto. Now, it seems the remains were found that might be her, but that's not definitive. Remember from just a few weeks ago, that is not definitive that those remains are hers. But even so, those remains, whoever they are, were found by luck. There was nothing, unfortunately, but that's rare. I still continue to believe when men do these things, 
<clears throat> that they're going to end up putting the body in a place either that they know it's controlled or they put it in a body in a place where it's going to get taken away and into a landfill or something like that. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Marty says, I agree. It's a very dicey case. Even if he is convicted, I think he will try to get an appeal based on the fact Sarah has been publicly going after father for a while now. Yeah. Could she have tainted the jury by doing that? Maybe Deborah. Yes. Abandoned mine shafts everywhere in Arizona. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Deborah Carrie. ironic. How much Joe and I can confirm how lazy and competent. Yeah. Being that you're working on Paul Sanders, uh, disappearance. Thank you, Carrie. Mark. Not familiar with the case at all, but reservations are an issue in Arizona as well. If a body's dumped on a reservation, it takes federal marshal to go on the reservation and get it. Yeah. That could have been on Michael's mind. Certainly true, Mark. So, uh, like the judge says, uh, it's going to go to July 20th. Uh, what are the odds to getting that? I don't know. Um... You know, that's what, 10 days away? That's the day after I fly to Pennsylvania. So 10 days away. Is there a chance Michael takes a plea? I don't know. I guess it depends how things go between now and then. But, you know, I I think that if I was the prosecution, I might be motivated to uh, take a plea on this. But, as you know, it would also have to include him saying where Alyssa's remains are. If it's not going to be, if that's not going to be included in the deal, then I'm not doing it. Not doing it. No way. No way. No how. No way. Uh uh uh. Uh, Carrie says too late to take a plea now. Okay, Carrie. So that is the uh, trial of Michael Turney, a weird guy, a bad guy. Uh, and that, if that is a disappearance that, um, you want to check out, you haven't listened to that episode. I think that came out in 2019 sometime, uh, unfound a story in Kathy. Maybe we'll look that up, uh, and find out when that episode actually came out. Marty, I would be shocked if he took a plea, but I don't think a plea deal will be offered. Okay, Marty. All right, so that is uh, um, the Michael Turney trial. Let me get back to a couple unfound things. Very important. Uh, Something that Cherie, of course, the moderator, my assistant Cherie, and I were testing tonight, like an hour before we went live tonight, is in maybe even next week, you'll be able to view this live show on a multitude of different platforms. You will not have to come to YouTube to view the live show. It will be here and you won't notice any difference. But uh, I, since last week's show, I have gotten the program StreamYard. I've been messing around with it in my uh, spare time. And so when I start using it, you will be able to watch this live show on YouTube. You'll be able to watch it on the Facebook page. You'll be able to watch it in the Facebook group. You will be able to watch it on Twitter. And I'm hearing that StreamYard is also eventually going to have uh, a connection to Instagram. 
So in all of those places, if any of those is more convenient to you than YouTube, you'll just be able to go there instead. And you won't, you'll be able to, you'll still be able to comment. There will be a chat. I will be able to see it on the screen that I'll be using for StreamYard. It will be just like uh, normal, like we're doing tonight, but you'll just be on a different platform. And the way I'll be hosting the show, I won't even be in YouTube to do this. I will be going to using uh, StreamYard's application. And of course, this is a, the goal, of course, is to, uh, of course, get more and more viewers uh, to the live show by making it as convenient as possible. And, but the other big deal about it is using StreamYard, I'm going to be able to start to do overlays and everything. So instead of just you seeing me on camera, you'll see me, but there will be things over on the side and maybe they'll change during the course of the two uh, of the live show. And I'm, um, I may use that uh, ways to market everything we're doing here. Uh, I'm uh, kind of also putting out there what the next episode is going to be for the coming Friday. I can use a lot of different things using overlays that will be on the screen besides you just seeing my face. <clears throat> and in fact, uh, probably this background, uh, you're probably not going to be able to see it anymore. Um, so be prepared for that. But this is all this. I don't want this to scare all of you. I think that um, you're really, really going to like it. I think that uh, this is a big step in the right direction. And probably if you watch like other live shows, it doesn't even have to be true crime live shows, but other live shows that people do, they're probably using StreamYard and you don't even know it. And you're, you're probably have already dealt with StreamYard as a viewer of some other type of live show. And if you're in the chat or whatever else, you're probably they're using it. Maybe they just aren't telling you because they really don't have to. But just so you know, I don't want any of you to be scared about that or anything. I think it's going to be great. Hopefully we can start doing this next week. Uh, Kathy says, Alyssa Turney. Oh, it was, wow. It was in 2018. So I covered that disappearance before my mother died. Wow, Kathy. Thank you for checking that, that out. So if anybody wants to find that episode, it's October 5th, 2018, like uh, a month and a half, you know, because, you know, that's usually the way I think about episodes. Was that an episode? Was that a disappearance I covered before or after my mother died? And that was one that was before. Okay. Great job, Kathy. Thank you. Uh, Marty says, uh, StreamYard should be awesome. Thank you. Um, Carrie, uh, Carrie always with the, yeah, Carrie. I think the more diverse options will be super helpful to all the listeners. And one more place that will also be available is dressed right on my Facebook feed on Facebook. So if you are friends with me on Facebook, you'll just be able to watch it right there. You can just, you know, it'll just be me going live and it'll come up. And so if you're friends with me, that's all you have to do. You won't have to do much anything. Uh, before I move on, uh, so once again, that's um, 
StreamYard. And I want to, all of you need to give a shout out to Sheree, who did not give up on me. She had told me about this a couple months ago. And I'll be honest, Sheree, uh, that I forgot about it, even though I wrote it in my notes. It was something I was supposed to do, forgot about it. And when we had our meeting a week and a half ago between me, Sheree, and assistant Eric, Sheree brought it up again. And uh, this time I actually followed through. So Sheree, thank you for not giving up on me. Mark says, is there a chat option if you don't Facebook? Yeah, there, there's a chat option for everybody. There will be a chat option for everybody. And what will be interesting to me is I will be able to, on my dashboard, I will be able to tell where you are watching it from. It's because when you chat or something, It'll tell me where you're watching it. So that that should be interesting. Uh, and like I said, over time, uh, I'll get better and better with it. You know, I just want to start using it as soon as possible. And then a lot of other things probably are going to get layered on, added, 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 added on. Because you can do so much in StreamYard. It's a little intimidating. So there's that. All right, moving on. Um, let's go to another story. I want to talk about this story, uh, that's actually very, um, local to me, um, here in Pinellas County. And I actually mentioned this, uh, talked about this story a couple months ago. And, uh, so there's some new developments. We're, we're learning more information about it. And it has to do with this Florida plastic surgeon who killed a lawyer in the lawyer's own office. And um, uh, I just want to remind everybody, I see how many viewers we have in here. We have people who have not given uh, this video a thumbs up. So if you're in here, you got to do the thumbs up. Please do not forget to do this. We're trying to get to 50 tonight. We got about an hour to go. Just go right down there on your tablet, your phone, wherever else. Hit the thumbs up. I would deeply appreciate it. All right, here's the story. A Florida plastic surgeon accused of killing a lawyer and dumping his body in the Everglades had a paralyzing drug, a wagon to transport the corpse, and a pickup truck with a special license plate flipping device to avoid detection, according to new court filings from prosecutors. Yeah, this guy obviously uh, planned this out. <clears throat> Authorities say Dr. Thomas Kosowski killed attorney Stephen Kazi in the bathroom of Kazi's law office moments after both participated in a March 21st conference call about a lengthy acrimonious legal battle over medical billing. This is crazy. This is a crazy story. This is a crazy, crazy story. Prosecutors said in court documents that Kosowski took the call from a Toyota pickup truck outside the office um, and that he had supplies to commit the killing, including trash bags, a syringe containing a paralyzing drug, and a wagon to haul the corpse out. Although Cozy's body has never been found. Investigators used cell phone records and surveillance video to track Kozowski to a remote area west of Miami on the Tamiami Trail. I know where that is, also known as U.S. Highway 41. 
That's like four and a half hours from here. That's like down in Dr. Telesco country. That's where they believe Kozowski tossed the body into a dumpster that was eventually emptied by a pit garbage truck. The driver noticed an unusually vile smell at the stop, authorities said. <clears throat> Video from the garbage truck of the dumpster being emptied into the garage truck shows a large garbage bag falling in a manner inconsistent with normal trash. Prosecutors said in a motion asking a judge to hold Kasowski without bond. The parcel shape and the way it fell looked consistent with something that might hold a human body. A police cadaver dog also indicated a body had been in the dumpster, according to court documents. This uh, filed Friday, so this past Friday. Trash from the route is typically hauled to a Collier County landfill, but authorities who searched the property for Kazu's body said the facility routinely compacts its trash, making recovery efforts nearly impossible. The new details emerged in court filings ahead of a July 17 hearing in which Kosowski's lawyers plan to seek release, his release on bail. In Florida, anyone accused of first-degree murder is generally jailed until trial unless the defense can show a compelling reason they shouldn't be. Prosecutors are seeking the death penalty. Kosowski, 44, has pleaded not guilty. A graduate, a graduate of Dartmouth College Medical School, he has specialized in reconstructive breast surgery for eight years. On social media, he has posted mainly about his profession. One friend who didn't want to be identified told CBS affiliate uh, WTSP, uh, that is uh, the CBS affiliate right here in my county of uh, Pinellas County, the Kosowski isn't a typical Ivy League graduate. That friend said the doctor self-made and came to the United States with nothing. Doctors' lawyers contend the prosecutor's case is flimsy, that Kosowski poses no threat, and that their client will not seek to evade justice. If released, Kosowski, who goes by Dr. K, plans to say his multi-million-dollar waterfront home in Tarpon Springs. That is about an hour directly north of me. The new court documents detail prosecutors' evidence against Kosowski including Kazi's blood and DNA found in the law office bathroom and in the garage at Kosowski's home where it was mixed with the doctor's DNA. In addition, authorities said Kosowski bought the Toyota truck with cash weeks before Kazi's slang and never registered the vehicle, which had a license plate flipping device that allows tags to be substituted with the touch of a button. One of the license plates associated with it was registered to a dead person. Man, this guy really planned this out. When Kosowski was arrested on March, arrested on March 25th, he had $280,000 in cash, masks, duct tape, firearms, a ballistic vest with EMS written on it, law enforcement patches, and a file of Cycloholine, I don't even try to say that, which is a paralyzing drug. A search of his home turned up 200 guns. Oh my goodness. Kazi, meanwhile, seemingly disappeared without a trace. His keys, wallet, and cell phone remained on his office desk. Any work file was opened on his computer. His husband never heard from him. He was gay. The missing lawyer represented a Dunedin, Florida-based, Dunedin is also north of here, 
medical practice that Kosowski alleged shorted him thousands of dollars in billings and damaged his reputation as a doctor. Dr. K's promising young career has been essentially obliterated by the woman's actions. Kosowski's lawsuit says through no fault of his own, his career was put in jeopardy. His reputation has been deeply tarnished. The dispute got so heated that Kosowski tried to get Kazi removed from the case and at one point allegedly called Kazi a, I'm not going to say the word, during an encounter in the same office bathroom where prosecutors say the attorney was slain. Kazi's husband, Michael Montgomery, posted a message last month saying he released Kazi's remaining memory ashes in the wind. My heart's broken. It's been held together by tape. Montgomery said in March at a visual for Kazi. Wow. What a story. Um, wow. I'm feeling a little dizzy, probably because I'm using so much oxygen uh, to get my voice cords moving. All right. Sheree uh, says, thank you, Ed. If it fails, it's Ed faults. Uh, that's foul. That's funny. Um, it still amazes me that... This happened in a law office. And if you missed what I was reading there, what essentially happened was that they were on this conference call regarding this case. So Kazi's in his office. There's other people probably, you know, using Zoom or something. And here, the Dr. K, he was actually in his this truck that they talked about right outside the law office. And what they're saying happened as soon as this meeting was over, Dr. K got out of his truck, went into the law office, tracked Kazi down and killed him in that bathroom. You know, of course, the reason he did this is because he knew where Kazi would be. And, you know, and of course, he planned this all out. He knew he was going to do this. He probably knew that this meeting was going to happen. Knew the time and everything else. And right after, went right in there and killed him. I, it, it, still, it boggles my mind that this happened in a law office. You know, you know, I don't know the location. Maybe I should drive. It's not that far away. I should drive over there and check this out. Was this Kazi, this guy, was he the only one there? How did he get the body out of the place without anybody seeing? This is the part that still is very confusing to me. Um, in addition, did he actually use this paralyzing drug or not? You know, it's kind of a joke, you know. Um, you know, I... um. You know, as many of you know, I'm a big fan of Columbo. And once in a while in there, you know, somebody uses chloroform or something like that to knock somebody out. You should know that's really not how easy it is necessarily to knock a person out. So I'm trying to figure out here, did he just kill him in the bathroom or did he really paralyze him first? I mean, how, you know, Kazi's in there, he's going to the bathroom and he sees Dr. K come in. He, know, you know, maybe doesn't realize what's going to happen. But 
you just can't stick a needle in somebody and, and make the person pass out. I mean, if any of you have ever been, you know, had surgery or something, um, you know, the only time, you know, in my adult life that I've been knocked out was when I got a couple wisdom teeth pulled, but you know, everything that goes into that, <laughs> you know, you're in the chair, of course, you're a willing participant and it, you know, you just can't walk up to somebody and stick them with the needle and, you know, make sure you hit the right spot and the person just slumps over in seconds. I realize in many, you know, crime movies and TV shows that that's how that easy they make it look. And nurse, oh, nurse, yes, you can. Uh-oh, nurse knows. Um, you know, I think about, uh, like, when I give, you know, get my blood tested every, like, six months, you know, the needle has to hit the right spot to get the blood out. And I, I know of how many phlebotomists, and that's what they're called, you know, it's not, you know, some of them, even though they're very experienced, you know, some of them have a hard time hitting the right spot. And that doesn't make it very easy for me because I hate the whole procedure anyway. So it just leaves a lot of questions in my mind. Um, about all of this, he's a doctor. He knows how to do it, especially with that. But I guess nurse, what I'm saying is how could you do that? Somebody to somebody who would be fighting him off. I realized maybe he crept up on him, but I got to tell you, as a guy who's been in a few, uh, men's bathrooms in my day, since I am a man, It seems it just it just seems unlikely that and once again I, I realize that people can be knocked out. People are getting knocked out all the time for surgeries and everything, but to do it in a bathroom on somebody who surely is going to fight or scream or something like that, you'd think it would get other people's attention. So I have to admit, I'm wondering if you use this drug at all. Or did he just go up behind the guy and just hit him over the head and knock him out and drag him out? You know, I'm really wondering if this paralyzing drug or whatever uh, got used at all. I guess that's what I'm saying. Uh, Rockford says, great. Now I need to be packing in my office bathroom. Yeah, yeah, you should, Rockford. Um, but here, you know, here's the flip side. You know, this is the stuff maybe is those of us who follow crimes and, and things so closely here. This Dr. K goes through all of that. Um, you know, getting a truck cash, getting the license plate thing, getting, you know, doing all of this stuff. And what's he do? He keeps his cell phone on the whole way down to Miami and back. You know, you talk about making, uh, a huge mistake. It's just, why even bother? Why even bother doing all of that other stuff if then you decide, well, I'm going to drive down there and leave my phone on the whole time? Because that's how they went down there and found the video of this garbage truck and everything else. It's, you know, this, 
Of course, we run into this with unfound disappearances sometimes when we're like, why did that person say that? Why did that person do that? That was so dumb and, and everything. This is one of those situations. And I mean, I mean, this doctor must have been really, really, really upset about what was going on here. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, he's living in a multi-million dollar mansion on this, on the, on the Gulf up there. He couldn't have been doing too bad for himself and would, you know, would one, it just seems like this is one case, you know, would something like this really be enough to push somebody over the edge? I think it, it you know, it opens up the idea that, Maybe this Dr. K had something mental going on for a while because, you know, to go through all this planning, this really, um, you know, if this was some sort of the spur of the moment thing, let's say that Dr. K went down to the law office, went in there and just shot Kazi. That seems like, a, 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 you know, it's horrible. And we do know that law offices have been shot up. There have been people who have been pissed off at lawyers and showed up at law offices and shot a lot of people. And in fact, for a long time, one of the um, the uh, the shooting with the most casualties in Pennsylvania or in, in California was the shooting up of a law office, Rockford. I think that's up in your area of. Um, California, wasn't that in the San Francisco area? Some guy went in there and shot up a law office, uh, some years ago. These things do happen. Um, this seems to be something totally, totally, totally different. So, um, it is a crazy uh, story, and I thought you'd want to hear. Like I said, I think some months ago, like back in March or maybe in April, I had talked about this. Well, this is the newest follow-up story to that. Um, there you go. Uh, Sheree says, can you help? on?" Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Sheree, uh, for posting that there. And once again, everybody, I, I see how many viewers we have. Please, thumbs up if you could. Let's see if we can get to 50 before we're done tonight. So we got 13 more to go. Can we do it? That would be really cool if we could do that two weeks in a row. I know many of you are watching here who have not given a thumbs up. I realize maybe in whatever device you're using, it's not as convenient if you're just like on a computer, laptop like I am. But I would appreciate it if you could uh, make the effort. Um, so that's, uh, a lawyer getting killed in his own office and being taken out of there without anybody seeing just, you wouldn't think that would be possible, but somehow this doctor got it done. Crazy. All right, moving on. Um, let's go. Uh, we got it. We got to talk about this. Um, let's talk about. Rudy Farias, again, if you remember, I uh, talked about this last week, and already at that time, 
people were getting the idea that maybe this disappearance and him reappearing isn't as it seems. And now we are finding out that is most certainly the situation. So I'm going to read a little bit about this. Once again, thumbs up, people. Rockford, yes, that was the 101 California Street in early 90s. Yes, that happened just a few years before I started working at the B of A building on California Street, just up the hill from the 101 building. Yeah, that guy. And um, and everybody can look that up. It's the 101 California Street shooting in San Francisco from the early 90s. It does have its own Wikipedia page. If anybody wants to um, check that out. And what was the weird thing about that shooting, Rockford, is that the guy had not had any dealings with that law firm like for some years, but I don't know what happened, but he just got set off, went down there and ended up shooting people to death on at least two different floors. I mean, horrible, just horrible. So if anybody want, if you, everybody's wondering about that lost, uh, law firm shooting, it was called the 101 California Street Shooting in the early 90s. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Marty says, I've already been spreading the word of Unfound on my Facebook page. Let's get to 20,000. Yeah, we're going to try to do it. It's a very ambitious number, Marty. But we're going to see what we can do. Um, Rudy Farias. Rudolph Rudy Ferris, a now 25-year-old man who was reported missing eight years ago, has been living with his mother the entire time. Details are still coming forth, <clears throat> but Houston police said Ferris was not missing. Between the time frame of the missing persons report in March 2015 when he was found and when he was found in front of a Houston church eight miles from his house, on June 29th of 2023. The case made national headlines, and upon his discovery, Farias's mother, Janie Santana, said that Farias was receiving the care he needs to overcome his trauma. Police, however, now reveal that Farias had actually returned home a day after he was reported missing in 2015. If you remember, he went out walking with his dogs. The dogs came back. He allegedly did not. A officer said that the case is still under investigation and the district attorney has not announced any charges at the moment. So what happened? On March 7th, 2015, the then 17-year-old allegedly went missing while talking while walking two of his dogs in Houston. Investigators previously reported that Farias was experiencing depression after seeing his brother and die in front of him. Santana maintained that her son was missing throughout the years, but authorities say he returned just a day after his initial disappearance. After Farias was found sleeping in front of an East Houston church in late June, his family released a statement saying that a good Samaritan located him unresponsive and immediately called police in 911. Farias was allegedly nonverbal when he was found, so that he was hurt to the point that he couldn't tell anybody uh, what was going on. Once again, I don't know what it is, but when I'm just talking, I feel fine. As soon as I start reading something, I get a little dizzy or something. Probably, like I said, has to do with the amount of energy that I'm having to use to make my voice work. <clears throat> and then my eyes probably didn't help that playing disc golf in 95-degree weather today. 
Ferris, however, was not transported to the hospital after he refused and was left in the care of his family. Police say they had doubts about Ferris's disappearance as officer, officers had gathered several tips that proved that Rudy was not missing during the eight-year period. Ferris and his mother had spoken to officers multiple times during the past eight years, but had given authorities false information, including fake names and dates of birth, Houston Police Lieutenant Christopher Zamora said during the press conference. He made contact with parole officers out on the street. However, during these contacts, fictitious names and dates of birth were given, misleading officers, and Rudy would remain missing. Days after Farias had re been reportedly found, neighbors began speaking to local news outlets, saying they'd regularly seen Farias since his alleged 2015 disappearance. He used to come to my garage, chill with my cousin and son and daughter, neighbor Kisha Ross said. That boy has never been missing. This is crazy. Several people had also claimed to see Farias come in and out of his house throughout the past years, but his mother had identified Farias as her nephew. Houston Police Chief Troy Finner said that he could not pinpoint the motivation behind Santana's false claims. Police did acknowledge that giving a fake name to police, which they allege Farias did uh, at least once, is a crime, but there are ongoing questions about what happened to Farias. I'm not going to say if he's a victim or not, Finner said during the press conference. Ferris is now back home with his mother, according to authorities. The investigation is active and there are new leads coming in. We'll continue to follow these leads. Marty says, a lot of stuff coming out about this case. Sounds like a lot of craziness happening in that house. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Rockford, I know we've moved on, but the really strange case I always think about when law officers are involved is the murder of Elisa Sherman in Cleveland. Check that one out when you have a few days to spare. Haven't heard of it, Rockford. Thank you. Everything. Hello, everything. Uh, what's going on? Good to see you in the chat. Lock him and his mom up. That's bad. Uh, Sheree says it's hard to believe anything in this case. Yeah. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? It seems to me, uh, I have to believe that there was probably a monetary motivation in this. Um, although I've not read anything that I would not be surprised if after he went missing back in 2015 and after he came back, they continued to portray that he was still missing. Um, but tried to raise money off of it, you know, GoFundMe page that exist is a GoFundMe exist in 2015. Probably I would not be surprised if that was the situation, but you also have to remember, as I pointed out last week, that his father, who was a police officer shot himself. Why for ticket ticket rigging? He was under investigation for this. And he shot himself when the investigation started. So you do kind of get this idea that maybe this is a family of frauds. Okay. That's, I think that's very, very important to understand. Now, I also, in thinking about this, um, I'm not saying I read a story like this every month. 
But there are a lot of people out there who, for example, are faking cancer. That, um, you know, they raise the money. Person even goes to the extent of shaving his or her head. There's benefits. There's GoFundMes. There's all sort, you know, concerts get, get put on and, and everything. And then it turns out eventually that um, the person didn't have cancer at all. It was just a big scam to get sympathy and everything else. You know, raise money or, you know, and I think that there could be a sympathy motivation here as well, given that the brother died, the father committed suicide the year before, and it very well may be, you know what, all of you didn't give me enough love, you didn't show me enough respect when my husband committed suicide, my other son died, so I'm going to try to get it this time. And she did, it worked. Now, why this continued to be a situation for eight years? You know, why didn't, after like a couple years, didn't she just say, hey, my son miraculously came home? And, you know, and, and just keep it very, very, very much on the down low. Well, as some of you are saying, there could be an abuse aspect to this. Uh, Rockford says, Ferris is a textbook reason why police almost always search their home first, regardless of where, why, when, and how a disappearance is alleged to have occurred. Yes, if they have permission. Marty, I read some abuse. There you go. Cherie, there was a GoFundMe and then regular fundraisers. Yep, this is a money-making scheme. Surely, surely, surely. Now, why it eventually came to an end in the end of June of 2023? Um, it's still a bit unclear. Kathy hooks by mom for whatever reasons, like Sherry Papini. This is a lot like Sher Sherry Papini. Uh, yes, Kathy, that's exactly what I think. Marty, oh man, Sherry Papini, that was messed up. Yeah, Marty, I think that that might have uh, maybe been before you um, became. I, I talked about Sherry Papini quite a bit on this live show before it all came out that it was all BS. And I am one of those people who thought it was. Um, BS from the beginning, but I mean, I must've done three or four coverages of Sherry Papini on this live show between when the live show started in the end of 2017 and when it was all, <clears throat> when it all came out that she had been lying the whole time. So, uh, everything uh, I'm good. Uh, I feel great except for my voice, everything because of me singing too much earlier today and abusing my voice. I shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> and it, you know, like I said, I, I feel a little, um, little dizzy here, uh, because of it. Marty, she fully committed who brands themselves just to put on a hoax. Yeah. Yeah. That was like method acting, Marty. She really committed to the part. Sure. Because Rudy wrecked her car. Oh, so Sharia is saying the reason this finally came to a head uh, for Rudy Farias here at the end of June 2023 is because he was out and wrecked her car. <laughs> I'm not sure that why that would lead to this um, uh, being, I, I guess I, I have to believe what you're saying, Sharia. The real, these types find it impossible to back out of these stories quietly. Yeah, they do. 
That is a very good point that you bring up, The Real. Even with Sherry Papini, she could have come back and kept it as low-key as possible. She could have. You know, we want our privacy. I escaped these two women. Uh, we really don't want attention. I just want to get back to my life. It was a horrible ordeal and everything. But instead, what did Sherry Papini do? She ended up on the cover of People magazine. That was a big mistake. And the biggest mistake, let's just remember something. The biggest mistake Sherry Papini made that really ended up was the biggest charge against her was that she ended up tapping into this fund they have in California for victims of abuse or something like that. She ended up taking money from that. That was the biggest, I mean, there were a lot of charges against her, but that was the big one. So once, once again, it wasn't enough for her to come back. Yes, there's a story that's going to, you know, they're going to do a news story on it. They have to. But no, she wanted to be on the cover of People magazine. No, she wanted to tap into this California government money that people can get for situations that have abuse or, 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 you know, kidnappings and things like that. She couldn't keep it simple that she made it co so complex is what got her in trouble. The Real, thank you uh, for bringing a very, very insightful. Good job, The Real. These people, they just like the attention too much. That's totally, totally true. Sure, you needed medical treatment. She had total BMW. So a total BMW, I guess, from the fundraising. She needed money again to fix the vehicle. So it was time to bring Rudy back out of hiding. Uh, Sheree, he was found with her credit card in his pocket, a new credit card, not one from eight years ago. And also all photos of him were from 2012. These people just don't know when to stop. Um, so there you go. Um, now you may be wondering, do I think that there are any unfound disappearances like this? Uh, no. I mean, I certainly believe there are some um, where people have walked off. There have to be at least a couple where people have started new lives, but I don't think we have any disappearances where the where the the parent was hiding the son or daughter and successfully did so for a long time, and the son or daughter was still living. I really, really, really don't think so. But any of you are more than welcome to go back through Unfound's entire catalog and, um, you know, see what you have to think for yourself. Marty, why stop the lie? She's getting all the attention. Her husband was probably being extra nice to her. She was loving it till she got caught. Sherry Papini. Everything. Hope you get well, mate. Rest up after live, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking I just need some sleep. Uh, as I was saying, maybe before you got in here, everything. I've been doing this singing chorus and... I have to remember before I start going crazy on some of these songs that I can now sing, I need to warm up first. And when I don't warm up, this is what my voice sounds like afterwards. It just shows you got to stretch. I, I have to remember that I am now kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of an athlete when it comes to singing. I guess, you know, can't just start singing because I'm hitting notes that I never hit before. And so my voice is being tested. Now, of course, I'll eventually get to the point 
where I will be able to sing these songs without warming up, but then I'll be singing even songs that are even harder. And even for those songs, once again, I'll have to warm up as your voice, you know, adapts. Um, Shari says, yeah, uh, does help the channel. Yes. We're up to 41. We got nine more to go. Can we get to 50 in the next half hour? Can we get the 50 likes in this last half hour? So if you're in here, don't forget to do that. So that is Rudy Farias. What a crazy story. No charges have been filed yet, but as they stated, it is against the law to, to give false eye to the police or lie to the police. I'm guessing that something eventually is going to happen, but not sure when. All right, moving on. This is another story uh, that I covered on this live show um, early this year. And now there is a uh, a follow-up story. Super fan, super caught. Xavier Babadar, you know, and this is where I wish Twinkle was in the discussion group tonight because Twinkle is a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. A Kansas City Chiefs superfan known as Chiefsaholic was arrested in California after months on the lam. The U.S. Attorney's Office, US Attorney's Office said on Monday, Bob Adar, who's 28, had been a fugitive from justice for about four months after he allegedly skipped a court hearing on bank robbery charges in March. The Overland Park, Kansas man, I've been to Overland Park, was charged in federal court for one of a string of bank robberies he's suspected of committing. He's also charged with transporting stolen property across state lines. Bobadar was arrested in Lincoln, California on Monday. That's this past Friday. In December, he was accused of robbing a Tulsa teacher's federal credit union and released on bond in February. In late March, Bob Adar is suspecting of removing his ankle monitor and going on the lam. Officials said investigators recently located Bob Adar near San Clemente and a federal warrant was issued for his arrest. According to an affidavit filed in support of the federal criminal complaint, Bob Adar traveled through the Midwest to perpetrate a string of robberies at various banks and credit unions. He allegedly laundered the robbery proceeds through area casinos and bank accounts. Babadar is suspected of other potential crimes. Officials said, citing a released unsealed affidavit, that after he was arrested in December, the FBI, FBI began to review bank records, casino transactions, and records, and sensitive financial reporting to determine the breadth and scope of additional potential activities, criminal activities. Officials said Babadar purchased and redeemed more than $1 million in chips from various casinos in Missouri, Kansas, and Illinois <clears throat> between April and December 2022. This is another example of when pe just people don't know when to quit. Investigators also reveal, reviewed unsolved bank robberies throughout the Midwest during that time frame. Babadar's cell phone was replaced in the same cities and locations for these previously unsolved bank robberies and attempted robberies, the affidavit says. In addition to the bank theft with which Babadar is charged in his complaint and the bank robbery charge in Oklahoma, the affidavit specifically refers to four bank robberies in Nebraska, Iowa, Tennessee, and Oklahoma, 
and to the attempted robberies of two credit unions in Minnesota. A complaint charged Barbadar was was stealing $70,000 from a bank in Iowa in March 2022 and transporting the money from Iowa to Missouri. Barbador later deposited the money into a money market savings account and purchased casino chips in a Missouri casino. A federal grand jury will determine whether to return an indictment on the charges. Two days before the Chiefs were set to play the Texans at NRG Stadium in Houston, fans wondered where Barbador's Chiefs-centric tweets were. He would take shot at his team's rivals like many general NFL fans do. However, he did not appear to tweet through the Kansas City's game against the Texans, even as the Texan, even as the Chiefs needed to skirt by in overtime thanks to Jarek McKinnon. Reddit sleuths were quick to make the connection that the superfan was arrested for allegedly robbing the Oklahoma bank. Bobadar was later identified as a suspect and the mega Chiefs fan behind the KC Wolf costume. He was arrested on armed robbery, among other charges, before he went on the lam. Uh, unfortunately, I could not find anything as to uh, how he got caught, how they ended up tracing him to uh, Lincoln, California, which, like it said, is near Sacramento. Uh, that is unclear to me. Let me see what everybody is saying here. Um, Marty's, uh, Marty, one in southern Indiana years ago where the husband disappeared, eventually declared deceased, insurance paid years later, a massive fire and two bodies were found, the wife and the missing husband. I would love, if you can track that story down, Mark, I'd love you to send it to me if you could. Uh, thank you, everything. Kathy, Marty, sorry, you were right. Pa- Keith Papini was duped, but he paid off his truck with the GoFundMe. That is not kosher. Use your own funds for federal, uh, you know, for personal expenses. Rockford. This is my new favorite true crime story of the year. Raider fan here. Look at you, Rockford. Carrie, I'm off to bed all. Been up since 4 a.m. All right, Carrie, good to see you. Thanks for, thanks for making time. John, really enjoyed the Mar Murray episode you did with Julie. What is your guess on what happened in her case? I will answer that in a second, John. And thank you for tuning in. I don't think I've seen your name in the live show before, John. So if this is your first time, I uh, really appreciate you making time on your Monday evening or Monday night. Thank you. I will answer your question in a second. Mark, I'll see what I can find. Last name was Roberts, but it's been a long time ago. Mark, whenever you can get it done. Uh, Anytime somebody's going to post something like that. um, uh, It sounds like that could be relevant to my learning on disappearances and true crime overall. So I appreciate it. Um, Just like with Sherry Papini, just like with Rudy Farias and his mother, uh, and this guy, Xavier Barbadar, they just don't know when to quit. You know, and that's the thing uh, 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 about crime and cheating casinos and things is that people get too greedy. You know, they just don't know when to stop because they got away with it before they think they're going to get away with it again. I mean, it's said that he, you know, he cashed in like a million dollars. A million dollars is enough for anybody to live on. But I'm guessing he probably had some sort of gambling problem or something. But, you know, he got $70,000 in cash. You know, I'm not saying, of course, $70,000 doesn't go as far as it used to. But, you know, you don't have to rob a bank every week if you have $70,000 in cash. 
might have been doing it for the thrill, gambling problem, you know, or, or whatever else. But these people just don't know when to stop. What also catches my attention here, uh, of course, of all of you know about Frag, Frank Abagnale, which is the guy from Catch Me If You Can, if you've seen that movie uh, played by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course, Tom Hanks was also in the movie. It's a spectacular movie. Really, really good. In fact, I would say it's one of the last great Steven Spielberg movies, my personal opinion. But, um, you know, what was shown in that movie, and I think the movie was kind of close to real life, these types of people always need to stay on the run. You know, when you're doing things like this, if you try to do this all in one place, if you try to rob just the banks in one area, you're going to get caught fairly quickly. And it seems like this guy, he did go quite a while before he got caught. But if you think back to the movie that, you know, Frank Abagnale always had to keep moving because if he stopped, and that's how he almost got stopped, if not to ruin it, but he married that, you know, girl from Alabama or wherever it was. You know, as soon as he stopped, he almost got caught. And um, it very well could be that the reason this guy got caught is because he eventually did stop. You know, he got to California, maybe thought they weren't on his trail. But the, the problem, of course, is you can't run like this forever. That um, even Frank Abagnale, who was, um, you know, a pro as pro can be with uh, kiting checks and forging checks and lying to people and everything else, even he got caught. And he got caught, you know, before the internet started and everything else. So that is one thing about if you choose to do this with your life, as soon as you slow down doing it, is when you get caught. Um, it is interesting to me that the way this article is written, that a lot of people knew something was up because this guy wasn't tweeting out anything and they kind of put it all together that he was probably the bank robber. Too high profile. Just too high profile of a person. And this is um, how you get caught. Um, uh, Marty says, oh yeah, Kathy Keith was a piece of work himself. Keith Papini. Hello, Ferry. Oh, you're getting in late, Ferry. Good to see you. Marty says, I'll take $70,000 in cash and be happy. Yeah, but um, you, I, I, anybody would be happy, Marty. We just have to realize it doesn't you know, go as far as everybody thinks. So uh, they caught this guy. We'll see if they can keep him in custody this time. If you remember from the article, it says that the way he got away was, you know, he took off his ankle brace and went on the lamb and everything. Uh, my guess is uh, he won't be getting any ankle monitors anymore. He's going to be uh, behind bars until there's a trial. And I'm guessing that... Uh, He's probably going to be in jail for a very, very long time. I just wonder how he will keep up with his Kansas City Chiefs. Um, yeah, four, actually three thumbs up now, Cherie. Three thumbs up from 50. Can we do it? We got 18 minutes. Are there three people out there who have not given a thumbs up yet? Now we're down to two as I'm talking to. 
All right, uh, John, I will now answer your question. Uh, where are you? There you are, John. Um, really enjoyed Lamar Murray episode you did with Joy. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment, John. Thank you um, for listening to all three hours and 10 minutes. What is your guess on what happened in her case? Um, John, you first you should know if, you know, if you're new to Unfound or, or whatever, really don't like to make my theories uh, very public. I think um, people, you know, get too caught up in them. But uh, what I will say, John, is there was nothing in the interviews that di- I did with Jolie that changed my mind uh, for something that I've thought for a long time, going back to well before I could have ever imagined that I would be hosting a missing persons podcast. I still believe that eventually uh, Ma ran off all by herself and that she died somewhere in the vicinity of where the car wrecked. There is nothing, and I know, but you know, the, the knife and the, you know, the guy down the road and I know, you know, all the theories out there. I know all this, you know, the speculation, you know, and, and you should know, I know all that stuff and never take for granted that I don't know this type of stuff just because it doesn't come up in an interview. I know, you know, we just, as you would uh, predict, uh, we stayed away from that stuff in talking to Julie, but I know that stuff. All the craziness and the allegations and the track coach and, and everything else. I know all of it. And there's not one bit of it that I find compelling at all. Makes for a great book. Makes for a great podcast if you want to put out 30 episodes on the same disappearance. But, of course, that's not what we do here. And there's nothing that I've ever read in any of that that has taken me away from the idea that um, I think Mara had every intention of coming back. I, when Julie says that, I believe her. I believe it myself. But also, as soon as Marl wrecked and she knew the lies that she told people, that totally got in the way of her ever coming back. And being that we know that she wasn't wearing a seatbelt, being that what we know, like with the Jason Landry disappearance, being that we know about the weather and everything put together, it all is there if anybody wants to see it. But a lot of people don't, you know, people who, you know, want this, you know, to go off, you know, spin off into the universe, uh, they don't want to think such things. That's my opinion. I think she's out there. Now, of course, it's been 19 years. The odds of somebody running across her bones at this point, not very good. But really, they probably weren't very good even just a month after she went missing. So people should be looking for other things, things that she could have taken with her that would not decompose out in the wilderness. So that's my opinion. I think that she knew the cops were going to come up, show up. 
She knew she was drinking and driving. She knew she wasn't supposed to be driving that car. She lied to her school about why she was taking this time off. It was a huge mess. And her flight response kicked in, and that's what she did. Um, and now we are over. We're to 53. Thank you so much. All right, I won't bring it up again. We are now over 50 again two weeks ago. Thank you all so much for hitting the thumbs up button. I cannot thank you enough. That is awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. Coffee, I think that Mar Murray walked off and is not far from where a car stopped. Yeah. Me too, Coffee. So, John, uh, that's, you know, that's my answer. I realize out there in the Mar Murray universe um, that a lot of other people have a lot of different opinions than me. But for me, I can't ignore the experience of 300 disappearances now can't do that. So that's what I think happened. All right. One more article. And then I'm going to tell you about this Friday's episode. Why do this long article? So I'm not going to probably be able to read all, all of it, but I have to read it. Why do women love true crime? You know, about every six months I need to uh, read an article like this. Women love true crime. Studies over the last few years report that women overwhelmingly make up the audience of the explosion of true crime podcasts, books, and TV shows. It's certainly true. Um, knowing the, the demographics of Unfound's audience, 80% of the audience is women. 80%. So uh, John, Marty, Rockford, uh, Mark... Uh, we got to stick together uh, We because we are in the minority. We got to, you know, keep together here. It's almost almost a cliche. The image of a woman sitting with a glass of red wine and consuming with rapt attention one of the countless choices in genre. Researchers have offered a number of theories about why women are so attracted to tales of serial killers, murder and rape, and dare I say disappearances. One possible reason, they say, is the women identify with the victims of violent crime. As women are often victims of such crime themselves. In the U.S., nearly three women are killed every day by intimate par partners. Bianca Carrasco, Rosemary Rapp, Marion Hurley, on and on, Angela Green. You know, we know the names. According to the CDC, over half of women have experienced sexual violence. And we, women make up 70% of the victims of serial killers. Through consuming true crime content, studies say, Women experience catharsis. They work out their fears about their own vulnerability and perhaps their rage about what has happened to other women as well. They see in true crime a source of education about how not to wind up a victim. While none of these hypotheses sounds wrong to me, I think something is missing. This is the person writing the article. What else has been going on in women's lives during this time when they've become obsessed with true crime content? It's striking that the surge in women's interest in true crime is concurrent with the rise of online dating. Particularly in the last 10 years when dating apps have become the number one way people in the U.S. date. Uh, I have to admit, as a single person, I've never had any success with any of them. Serial, the mother of the true crime podcast trend, although I would not consider it to be the mother of 
unfound. I've never listened to Serial. Became a huge hit in 2014, the same time Tinder, the father of dating apps, went mainstream. Tinder was launched in the late 2012, and thousands of other dating apps came on the market soon after. Dating was never totally safe for women, but now women are routinely going on dates with men who are virtually unknown to them, which can be scary. I can't imagine it. If I was a single woman, there's no way in my life I would have ever thought of doing any online dating through Tinder, uh, Match.com, anything. No way. Once upon a time, people met through mutual acquaintances and community ties. Blind dates were not unheard of, but rare. Now most women meet men through dating apps where catfishing and romance scams are not only possible but common. Dating apps don't vet their users through most... uh, the most users say they wish they would, which puts women in a not insignificant risk and a regular basis if they date frequently. Tell you what, there's a lot of catfishing with women going on there too. Women of, nece- uh, of necessity have become amateur detectives, often impressively adept at researching the backgrounds of their matches and possible dates. Maybe why I'm single. <laughs> It is the detectives in true crime. They're identifying with as much as the victims of the hundreds of women I've interviewed about online dating. Many of them said the version of every woman I know could be hired by the FBI regarding her ability to find out the truth of someone's history beyond what he puts on his dating app profile. <laughs> Once again, I really don't think this explains why I've never had uh, any success. I really don't. I have no criminal record. Or anything else. So I don't know. I start by Googling and looking them up on their social media profiles. And LinkedIn, a woman in her 20s told me, now you can see why I chose this article. Then I run a reverse image search to see if their picture is really them. One study found that 73% of online daters have vetted their matches. Of this group, half said they unmatched with somebody based on findings. If I feel suspicious, a woman in her 30s told me I might do a criminal record search or a public record search. Background checks like TruthFinder and information can be expensive, she added, but sometimes I'll pay for them. I don't want to get killed or tricked by someone who's married. Women who date in the digital age have become online detectives to keep crimes from happening to them, but they've also developed their sleuthing skills, sleuthing skills, to find out if they're being cheated on with smartphones, social media, and dating apps have made it considerably easier for men to do. The real mystery is, is he seeing someone else at another woman I spoke to? There's no trust anymore. And this is why so many women check out their husband and boyfriend's phones. <laughs> apps that are used for checking on cheating spouses' phones abound with names like MSpy and Hoverwatch. On Google and YouTube, there are hundreds of web pages and videos with names like Hi to find out if your partner is on dating sites. Women, I, I laugh because I'm a single guy and, you know, I just don't do any dating. Women have also turned to other women on social media to help them find out if their partners are stepping out. In 2020, Carlita Victoria went viral on TikTok for asking users to assist her in finding out if her boyfriend was being unfaithful. The internet moves quick, Victoria said in an interview after users confirmed her suspicions. In 2023, Michaela, uh, with a long name, did a viral TikTok in which she discussed finding out her boyfriend was cheating on the Tampa page of, are we dating the same guy? Tampa coming up again. 
a Facebook group where hundreds of thousands of women in cities all over the world play detective for their local online dating communities. I have to admit, I, I, I didn't know any of this existed. Apparently, some famous women have turned to detective to catch a cheater too. In 2015, Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale announced their separation after Stefani allegedly found out that Rossdale had been cheating with their nanny through seeing explicit texts, including new photos and their plans to meet up for sex on the family-shared iPad. A bad move, Gavin. Bad move. The anxiety over whether a partner is cheating has become even more vexing at a time when situationships or undefined relationships seem as common as committed ones. Nobody has to say if they're seeing other people anymore, which makes us crazy. So we're constantly trying to find out online, said a woman I know. <laughs> oh, man. No wonder I'm single. It's just crazy. It's so crazy out there. Uh, the Real says, I have zero interest in online dating. Can't relate to the entire topic. What's wrong with me? I, I can't either. Like I said, I've tried it um, years ago. Years ago. You would not catch me dead on a dating app these days, ever. And I'm a guy. But back in the day, never had any success with any of them at all. Zero. So when people said, yeah, we met through Tinder, we met this week, we met on... I don't know how people do it because I mm, just nothing. Just nothing. No writing back. Nobody check. No women checking out my profile. Nothing. Just nothing. And I'm not. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not Rudy Farias and his mother. I'm not making this up. So there you go. I don't know. Uh, Marty's getting out here. Marty's. Thanks for making the time tonight. Rockford says, now we're even more outnumbered. Uh, Charlie says, perfectly normal, the real. I have an aversion myself, Marty. Haha, <laughs> sorry, Rockford, stay on strong from us. All right. So I just wanted to read that. So what this person is saying is that the reason so many women are into true crime now is because of, you know, they're watching out for themselves. They're doing uh, investigations in their own lives about men they're running into. Very interesting. So there you go. Rockford, oh, fine. I reeled our age gap on the think tank yesterday, so I might as well come clean, admit my wife and I met online. There you go. Rockford, I'm happy for you if it worked out for you. Just never. Just never, never. Any of the women who could have been called girlfriends in my lives, in my life over the years, I met none of them online. None of them through a computer, nothing, ever. All right, let's move on to this Friday's episode. You gotta, even though, of course, we know Mara Murray's disappearance, kind of common. Brian Vargo's disappearance, a very common type. Bianca Carrasco's, a very common type. This Friday, though, although the interview's not yet been done, it's going to take place tomorrow evening. Fingers crossed. You never know until it happens, but. Paige Renkowski, Renkowski, R-E-N-K-O-S-K-I. She went missing from Fowlerville, Fowlerville, Michigan on May 24th of 1990. And the two women that I'm interviewing tomorrow evening are her sister, Michelle, and her niece, Nikki. I don't have a title for it yet. I'm going to start working on that tomorrow. 
The reason this is a uh, this is certainly a leg of their own type of disappearance in which her car was eventually found running in fine shape on the berm of the highway that goes through Fowlersville, Michigan, Fowlersville, Michigan. And eventually when it was discovered that she was missing, many, many people came forward to say that they saw Paige on the side of the highway there talking to at least one man in a maroon type of SUV or van. Many, many people said this. And she went missing after that. Of course, the issue with this disappearance is that her her car, when it was found, it was found running. Her keys were in it. Her shoes were in it. Her purse was in it. Everything wasn't locked. Like I said, key in the ignition. It was idling there. There was nothing wrong with the car. So why then did she pull off to the side of the road in the first place? And this happened in broad daylight on May 24th of 1990. So we're going to try to get onto this. This is, um, this is going to challenge us. Uh, I think, uh, when we start thinking about this, when you all hear the interviews and everything, because it's such unique circumstances, if her car had been broken down, if it looked like it had been broken into, or if in regret, like Mar Murray, not as strange. But what about a car that's just sitting there idling and there's nothing wrong with it? And it's really in an area that's not wooded. It's not like we're Mar Murray wrecked. It's right there near an exit. And here she was. And there are many people who said, yeah, we saw Paige talking to at least one man there. What exactly happened? And that's the question you'll have to ask yourself come this Friday. Paige Renkoski. R-E-N-K-O-S-K-I. And that's all I have for tonight. Uh, I'm glad that this, I, I had a great time tonight, but my voice is very happy that this show is over. And uh, thank you for us getting over 50 thumbs up tonight. I cannot thank you enough. Crank is saying, haven't even tried dating in about 10 years. The older I get, the less I trust people. Totally fine, Crank. Don't feel bad about it. Thank you all. Thank you for showing up tonight. Thank you for listening. Remember, if you're not yet a subscriber to this YouTube channel, please go and subscribe right now. And you will hear and see me, as long as this interview takes place, you will hear and see me on Friday for the disappearance of Paige Renkoski. Everybody, take it easy. Keep your heads on swivels. Uh, Rockford, good to see you. Charles, thank you very much. And, uh, oh, there's somebody, Padalen, I don't, that your first star your name. Thank you. You're welcome. And, John, thank you for joining in tonight as well. Um, thank you for the question. Good night, everyone. <laughs>